Have you ever heard about Microsoft Bob? Mm, no. Back in 1996, Microsoft started this whole project around getting people who don't normally use word processing software or even presentation software, and they called it Bob. Project Bob led to a couple of great things and a couple of not so great things that came out of it. So some of the great things that came out of it is actually Microsoft Word. PowerPoint came out of it as well. But two major things were maybe not so well received. The first is the typeface Comic Sans. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's awful. The second thing that came out of it is a character called Clippy. Oh, I knew it. I knew this was the other one. You know, honestly, I mean, how bad was it if we're still talking about it today? There's a whole online allegiance around Clippy. TikTok accounts dedicated to Clippy, believe it or not. Chrome extensions that you could add Clippy to your website experience. Are these people also playing Minesweep in their free time? Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 299 of Touchpoint. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. I'm over here uh, trying to enable that Chrome extension for Clippy. Yeah. Yeah. Clippy. (laughs) Maybe we should invent a Clippy for podcasting. I mean, really, how far is it from the chatbot experience? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, we'll, we'll leave that alone for now. Welcome one and all to, that is right, 299th edition the Touchpoint Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. If you're new, welcome. If you're a, a repeat listener, appreciate you coming back. I actually talked to somebody at a conference last week that was like, man, it's just on auto download and a few other people standing around wanting to know what, what the show was. And so it's it's always nice to talk to people that have been listening for a long time and then also uh, hear about people excited about listening for the first time. So whichever end of the spectrum you're on, we certainly do appreciate the support quick plug for the website touchpoint.health touchpoint.health is the website and when you make your way over there you'll notice something called the tps report up in the top navigation name email address that's all we're asking for and what you will get is an email to start your week with five articles five articles start your week about the industry simple as that so we'll pause here touchpoint.health while you go check it out and be back with today's show Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. 
And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Today, Reed, we're going to talk about a topic that we just have to revisit involving physicians in your marketing efforts. I think you and I both agree that having physicians involved in the marketing and outreach work that you do is critically important. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. It is. I mean, it is the entry point for a lot of consumers, especially as you think about some of the new models of healthcare around population health and things like that. The experience and the relationship people have more often than not is with their physician. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for us as marketers? And this has been so important to us that even way back in episode 19 was the first time we actually started talking about how to involve physicians in your online marketing. And we've subsequently done a number of episodes about this topic. However, the reason why we're revisiting it today is because we're kind of in a new world. I don't know if we could call it the post-pandemic world yet. I, I still don't know the right term to use for the time we're in right now. Our physician environment, our physician audience, the physician partners that we have across all of our hospitals and health systems, they're currently facing a lot of challenges. Yeah, I know. And we even went over this some, Chris. I, I think you mentioned, you know, we've done some episodes uh, around the topic of physicians but we did talk about physician burnout and some of those types of things as it relates to um, some of the Girard studies. And so, again, not to, not to kind of repeat some of that, but, I mean, we are at a place where the expectation of the consumer is a little bit different than what it used to be. Mm-hmm. And the way physicians uh, have had to practice over the last couple of years has really brought us to a place that, again, kind of. I'm paraphrasing a little bit uh, from some of those studies, but we've got folks, clinicians, not just physicians, but clinicians as a whole, you know, looking at leaving the industry altogether. And we were just talking to a couple episodes ago about that consumer expectation. They want to schedule appointments with healthcare providers. They're, they're being faced with this insurmountable task of doing so. Well, why don't we first read, why don't we go in a little bit deeper on a study that just came out a few days ago. And the headline caught me. It's called, Physicians are reporting at least one burnout symptom rose from 38.2% in 2022 to 62.8% in 2021. That's an alarming finding. It is. And, and, you know, the researchers were led by the chief wellness officer at Stanford Medicine. And they've actually measured this topic of burnout every three years since 2011, so a little over a decade. And after measuring physician burnout in 2020, the researchers decided to measure the impact of the ongoing pandemic. So they 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 can you know conducted the survey from December the 9th, 2021. So I'll pause there so I can kind of get a frame of reference. So close to a year ago, get, getting close to a year ago, December the 9th, 2021, to January the 24th of 20. 22 of this year. And that's that's where that 62.8% of physicians reporting at least one symptom of burnout appeared. One of the persons that was part of the study is Jack Resnick. He's the president of the American Medical Association. And he commented that while the worst days of the pandemic are behind us, hopefully, 
there's an urgent need to attend to physicians who put everything into our nation's response to COVID because they often did it at the expense of our own well-being. The findings from this research are part of what he put together, his team, the American Medical Association, called the Recovery Plan for America's Physicians. That whole plan focuses on a couple of things, obviously supporting physicians from a well-being perspective. But one thing that they called out is that there is a need to remove obstacles and burdens that interfere with patient care. Mm. I'm highlighting that one, Reed, because quite often whenever I have approached physicians to get them involved and help us with sort of the marketing or any kind of outreach plans that we do, sometimes they are unsure if that's an obstacle or a burden or if that's something that's critical. That's interesting. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. I do wonder about that. I mean, there is a certain sense of like, you know, I have ideas, I have things that I'd like to see done. Uh, but then I also think about, you know, their involvement because that's not really, you know, we, we hear the term practicing at the height of your license. And that's exactly what this is. It's like, you know, removing those obstacles and burdens that interfere with patient care. So think about documentation and, you know, all the physician notes and things like that that they have to do and some of the administrative burden. This we kind of fall in that bucket. So, yeah, we'll 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 come back. We'll come back to that and talk more about it here in a little bit. Furthermore, the new research article, uh, which was published by Mayo Clinic Proceedings, featured information collected from more than 2,400 physicians, they say. And so in addition to finding the increased physician burnout, the study also had some other data points. And so we'll run through those. So first off, the, the fact that the burnout thing went up as high as it, it did, uh, you know, showing one side, I think some of that may be due to the fact that, you know, people are more acutely aware and kind of looking at it. And so I think it is interesting to see kind of what that's going to do going forward. But the mean score around emotional exhaustion among physicians increased 38.6% from, yeah. from over the last year, from, well, from 2020 to 2021. So that's that's big. Yeah, and depersonalization scores, that's an interesting thing to think about. You're, you're creating a score on how depersonalized their experience is. That increased 60.7% over that last year. In addition, satisfaction with work-life balance, if you will, uh, decreased 46.1% down to 30.2% over that same period. Yeah. Is it a surprise that the proportion of physicians with a favorable professional fulfillment score decreased as well over that same period of time? Decreased from 40% in 2020 to 22.4% in 2021. It almost halved. And here's one that's interesting to me because I've got a personal experience with this talking to a good friend of mine that is a physician. The proportion of physicians who reported they would choose to become a physician again. Okay. So if you could do it all over again, would you still be a doctor? (laughs) Right. Uh, It decreased from 72% to 57%. Wow. So barely over half say that, yeah, if I were to do it again, I I would choose this line of work. Other analysis, if you look at multivariable analysis, just three major findings. These are three things that actually contributed worse to the burnout. Being a woman, long work hours per week, and practicing emergency medicine or family medicine or pediatrics. Those things have a multiplier level of contributing to that higher level of burnout. Gosh, 
I mean, the emergency medicine one, especially, I mean, obviously the, the, the ratio is the highest, but man, I can't even, yeah, I can't even imagine. Yeah, absolutely. The study outlines a couple of ways that we can rise to the challenge. And I think it's important that, you know, that we highlight the fact here that the pandemic has prompted a lot of us as working within healthcare setting to really take time to ensure that your workforce is providing high quality, safe care. I've had a lot of conversations, been involved in a lot of conversations around safety in the workplace because that has Mm -hmm. also been on the rise, right? And really it's it's a focus in on uh, efforts to promote physician well-being. That is, I think we're over-indexing in all the right ways to ensure that we're doing that. It's also on the nursing level and other clinical levels, but I will say that that's been a heightened thing around the way we're looking at our overall organization. And there was an interesting quote the co-authors wrote. Yeah, while sincere, many of these organizations have focused on providing resources for individuals in distress, such as uh, psychological first aid, peer support, mental health aid, counseling, etc. These organizations will benefit from embracing a more expansive and holistic approach to prevent occupational distress rather than simply reacting to it by uh, support distress clinicians. So such approaches require organizational commitment uh, as well as dedicated leadership to include a comprehensive and sustained approach to reduce administrative burden, enhance team-based care models, address inefficiencies in in the practice environment, and establish staffing models with a consistent new uh, type of care delivery. Yeah, I mean, I think this isn't just like, you know, hey, let us know what you need. You know, mm-hmm. kind of a thing, right? It's got to be more proactive, I think, is the theme there. So I think, you know, with that in mind, and, and after the break, we'll, we'll kind of shift to, you know, what does this mean for us as marketers? I think you've got to be cognizant of this, you know, uh, as a marketer and, you know, what the ask of a physician is from the marketing department or communications department or, you know, kind of as you think about your, your activities. You know, we want to include them. We want their expertise, so it's like, you know, how do you how do you do that in a, in a thoughtful way that doesn't, you know, layer on more of that administrative burden? Let's get to that part of the conversation after we take a brief pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right. So, Chris, I don't know if we need to cover any more stats on burnout (laughs) or or that kind of a thing. I think everybody, you know, fundamentally agrees, you know, where the industry is, whether it may be varying a little bit based on where you are, the type of organization you're with or what you do within the organization or something like that. But I think it would be interesting for for us to kind of take a pause. You know, we've both been doing this 20 some odd years or 20 ish years or so. And, and just kind of revisit some of the basics here. We as marketers, uh, you know, want 
to drive folks to our physicians, right? Think about like a community. These are big, big names and big, a big focus of what you're trying to do. As a doctor, I mean, I can think back to being a marketing director at a hospital in a community, right? And we would recruit a new physician. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I got to think, like, what do they, what do they expect? You know, back then, I think it was pretty straightforward. I mean, the internet hardly existed, right? We put a welcome ad in the paper. We had a uh, a community event where you could come meet them. You know, uh, a, a new doctor welcome event. You know, we do a couple of times a year with all the doctors that were new since the last one. You know. You know, maybe have some some have them present at grand rounds or you know, that. I don't know. I, but what do you think the expectation is now of, of a doctor? Well, you know, it's interesting that I'm noticing more and more doctors are looking to be employed by hospitals and health systems. Mm-hmm. And with that comes this sense of this, this expectation uh, that the health system will take care of them. And by taking care of them, when, when when they talk to me or others in my marketing communications team, a lot of that is, well, I'm hired, I have an empty panel, fill my panel, right? It goes right down to, I'm not busy, I expect marketing to fill my panel. Uh-huh. The challenge with that, though, is, as you and I both know, Reed, sometimes, unless you're like a, a person where we can actually draw a lot of consumer into, maybe even thinking about, orthopedic surgeons or even cardiologists, driving consumer demand to them sometimes doesn't happen that quickly or overnight. You're actually having to, you know, there's a lot of nuance to getting new patients for patient acquisition. But I think they're expecting a little bit more too. In my mind, I hear a lot too that some of the new physicians are looking for, well, you have this whole infrastructure now add me to the website, make sure I have a robust presence, take over my physician practice website. These are things I hear a lot from new doctors that are coming on board. It's almost like they expect us to have this turnkey solution to just turn on and suddenly they're gainfully like back to where they were when they're independent, so to speak. What about you? What are you seeing? You know, I hadn't really thought much about it in this in this regard, but I like you know what we talked about before the break about you know the reduction of kind of that administrative burden. Mm-hmm. I think there is that, but that's the kind of foundational piece. Like that's the expectation. Like you just said, you know, here's the login to the website, so you guys take it from here. You know, kind of deal, and right. you know the online presence and review management, reputation management. I think there are those pieces. Um, I think with the virtual and telehealth component now, it's interesting because what does that mean uh, for their panel? I'm, I'm starting to get more and more involved in remote patient monitoring. So you know, some of this is like, well, how do you, how do we offload some of the folks that need to be monitored on a daily basis to allow them to see more patients? And so I think there's a different, you know, it's kind of digital more broadly. I, I do think. It, in the communities they serve, there, there still is an appetite for the pure marketing piece of it, right? Uh, the Facebook post, the, the, right. event, the, you know, that kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. Provide that local awareness. And we have more tools like Facebook and other things, right. To do some hyper local promotion, so to speak, there still is the old fashioned, you know, you also have to get out in the community and all that, but um, I think that that it's interesting because we're coming off of, again, I don't know what time we're in, right? In the late 2022, when we record this, 
we're moving a, a kind of back from being virtual and being online to being more in person, having that community involvement, doing more webinars or seminars, you know, like kind of being being out there to kind of engage at the Better Business Bureaus. I think those things still hold a lot of value depending on what community you're in. Maybe large cities, you know, developed cities, maybe not so much, but like when you're in the smaller local communities, that still matters a lot because people will see you there, right? Yeah, it, yeah, it absolutely does. Um, and and so that's why I don't want to just, you know, blanket statement, you know, dismiss the idea of like the ad in the football program or the outfield uh, wall at the Little League field or, you know, uh, those types of things because they, they are very meaningful. But I think ultimately they have to be accessible too. Is there room? Do they have room in their practice to see anybody new? Right, right. And that's great that we now as marketers having are having those conversations with them, right? Around what what is your availability? If we were to bring someone to you, what is that ideal patient that you want us to bring to you? So that way, and, and how soon can they see you? And that sometimes is, you know, there there is still operational challenges to get to that level, but I think that that really becomes important. And incidentally, I'm having those conversations with, with not only new doctors but existing doctors because now their practice is sort of pivoting away from being virtual and being online and all of that to now being more in person. And again, we're having these conversations of, can you accept online appointment scheduling? How far out are your appointments? All of these things. And it it seems like us as marketers are now having more of the operational type of questions, which we've all, you and I have been clamoring to do this for a long time. And, and, you know, I, I think we're, we're, we're kind of shifting the perception now of what marketing can do for our new doctors as well as existing doctors. But it gets to be a bit challenging when they're not employed, right? Yeah, it does. You know, I saw this a lot, uh, certainly when I was working with hospitals in Texas, where you you technically cannot employ doctors. I mean, there's obviously other organizations and kind of ways around that a little bit, but there is the idea that you would like to send, (laughs) you'd like to send all the patients to certain places and you just can't do that. And you have to be careful, too, about how much you can promote them online because of the stark regulations and all that. And certainly, we're, I'm, I'm having much more meaningful co- uh, conversations around the find a doctor directory profiles, right? Mm. Those have become now uh, a really a place where people are leaning in hard. Uh, they realize that, hey, I need to put all this information out here. I need to expand all my services and my capabilities there. But they're almost getting to the point of like stuffing it with SEO keywords, right? So we're now kind of coaching them away from that to say, look, we want to actually, that's not the way these online directories work anymore. That's not the way Google business listings work anymore. We have to become much more meaningful to the consumer. And that's why Google, it's like, it's funny. I've even had conversations about Google's meaningful use SEO changes to doctors, which is, I'm glad that we're having these conversations again, but it's a whole nother world that we live in. It is. And so you bring up something interesting, which is the education side of all of this. And it's like, you know, how do we, you know, how do we play that role to make sure that they understand what what is meaningful? Mm -hmm. We're not to worry or spend time. It's like, look, that would be cool. Or yeah, that was fine five or six years ago, but like, that's not going to help us today. Um, And this, that's back to the kind of the defining success piece, you know, uh, you told us you needed this or wanted this, or this is what a win looks like. Well, this is the way we get there. 
you know, mm-hmm. kind of, I do think there is some interesting opportunities there to, you know, kind of continue to educate a little bit um, and drive, you know, what, what ultimately is success for these physicians. But what a great time for us to have these conversations, right? Because now we have this unprecedented amount of data available to us, Mm -hmm. like from all the digital platforms, right? From online appointment scheduling to uh, our websites, to social media about what, what information that consumers want and what are they looking for? And I'm even going down the path of, you know, very targeted consumer insight studies to uh, help different service lines as they're starting to build out more robust service line strategies to share, look, the consumer today now is looking for these things at these different points of their journey. And these are the things that we need to highlight early to capture them early on, etc. It's, it's really shifted the dynamic. I, I will have to say that in many of the conversations where we have technical people and other people at the table, along with the clinical leads, that they're turning to me as a representative marketing and asking me, what does the consumer want? And Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, great. Finally, (laughs) I I don't mean that in a negative way, but yeah, this is the moment that I wanted, I've been wanting to be at, you know, this is the conversation I've been wanting to have for many, many years. And now finally, they're turning to us in marketing as the expert on the consumer. Yeah, and I think that's where the data comes in, right? I mean, we, we now, whereas 20 years ago, there was there was, really wasn't a lot to point to, right? It was just, it was advertising. That was what we had. Uh, well, now we've got data to pull from and insights to pull from. All these studies, you know, Chris, that you and I talk about on here, there's a wealth of information online, but then you take it to your local organization Somebody needs to kind of corral and own all of this information. That's where a lot of the value really resides is in the data. The fact that we have access to that and can use that, then we become more of a strategic partner versus an execution arm for just really not even physicians, but just things people want. Lastly, and we get this into this in more depth with the conversation that we have with uh, Gene Hitchcock, which is coming up right after this upcoming break here. We get into how do we get them involved more in understanding how what our asks are from a marketing perspective. Because we don't want to be uh, having those conversations with people and saying, okay, now we need you to be involved. Uh, you know, I even mentioned in, in with that interview I had with, with Gene that the physicians are unique because... They're both the product and service that we promote, yet they have to be actively involved in that promotion. And so we, we're kind of putting them in a situation of saying, we want to highlight your service, your offerings, what you do, but we have to bring you to the table. The good news is, is we have a lot of tools now at our disposal to make that easier as well. Yeah, we do. We do. I, I mean, I don't know that tools and insight, but like, we're, we're not poor for platforms and tools and technologies and things like that, which is a podcast uh, for a different day. But we do have ways to make things easier for them. And, um, and I think just being cognizant of, again, that reduction of the administrative burden. You know, I would encourage everybody just to define what you have, figure out how to optimize and bring solutions uh, to whether it's physicians, service line leaders, doesn't really matter. Bring solutions and ideas and, um, you know, kind of that, that avenue forward. 
Yep, and some good ideas and and suggestions, and even a, a, br- a brief conversation about physician relationship management or PRMs. Let's refer to the interview, which we're going to run right after this brief pause here. Jean Hitchcock and I sat down and actually talked about this, and she shared some of her tricks on how to how to get physicians involved in our marketing and how to become good partners with them as we kind of move into this whatever phase we're in now and uh, dealing with the physicians in the state that they're in. Let's take a brief pause here, Reed. We'll listen to the interview, and then you and I will be back to close out the show. Welcome back to the Ask the Experts segment, and today I am so delighted to have back on our show the incomparable Gene Hitchcock. Gene, you really are incomparable in my book. Oh, thank you, Chris. That's so sweet of you to say. <laughs> well, I, honestly, you and I have known each other for many years, and and you've been you you've been in the industry for so long that you you basically know everything that's happening out there. And, and it's just so ex- exciting to get you on the on the show to be able to talk about some of the current stuff that's happening in our in our space. I was delighted that when you asked me to do this, it was fun the last time. And, you know, I'm sure we'll have a good time today. Absolutely. But before we jump into our conversation, there may be some people that may not know about you, and they definitely need to. So would you mind introducing yourself, who you are, your background, that sort of thing? Sure. Jean Hitchcock, and I'm president of Hitchcock Marketing and Communications. I'm located in the bustling metropolis of Lewis, Delaware right now, but I spent 30 years on the provider side in continually more expansive roles in marketing and communications with some of the best health systems in the United States. In 2014, I went out on my own and started my own firm, and um, that became what I've been doing for the last six years. Your expertise around marketing and communications and just the the various different dynamics over the years, it's going to be very important for today's conversation because we know that the role of marketing has shifted and changed. The pandemic has done a lot of things to our industry. For marketing in particular, it's really moved the ball a lot. Would you agree? Yes and no. Let Let me answer it two ways. Yes, in the sense that I think we are getting more and more people attracted to our field who are smarter, who are really comfortable using data in ways that we didn't have available before, and really can tell a story through the data in ways that we weren't able to because we didn't have those tools. No, in the sense that I recently judged an out-of-state marketing submissions you know, for a, a state association and was struck by the fact that under the part about evaluation of effectiveness, they said all the doctors like the billboard. Mm. And I just about wanted to kill myself. I'm like, this is not <laughs> marketing. This is not marketing. So I don't know, Chris. I find that some places we've got some really strong people who sort of get it. And in other places, we have people who are still trying to figure it out. So it'd be great if we could bring everyone up to sort of a standardized level of understanding the full market. Well, there's a lot of things to understand and a lot of, you know, with new people moving into the space, I can understand that a little bit. But, you know, even that one example that you gave about making sure the physicians or the doctors like the billboard, it it kind of underscores sort of the theme of what we're going to talk about today, which is the role of physicians and marketing and how they're interplaying today. Because I think that's always a very important relationship to have within a health system. 
I totally agree. Let me start by saying, number one, the main reason I stayed in healthcare for 30 some odd years is because of the phenomenal physicians I got to meet, just incredible human beings, smart. They know a lot about their area. I used to pride myself on the prickliest pair becoming my best friend by the time we walked him or her through a process. But they are your product in marketing. They're the P. And your marketing is only going to be as good as your product. And so really understanding what doctors are going through these days. Chris, you and I both know 20 years ago, the the physician profile was independence in groups of maybe three or four. So they had some sort of uh, life balance. Now it's more employment, except in the state of California. And so that is a huge shift, huge shift in terms of motivations, expectations, things like that. Understanding where they're coming from is important when you're taking that product to the market. And also when you start to ask them to do more, you know, to expand a program or to recruit more people because they're weighing on their hands all the stuff they have going on right now. Burnout is very real, um, not only for doctors, but for nurses, but for the marketers, the, the real P is the physicians, the product. Right. And if you think about that, the product being the physicians, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because in effect, what we want to do is we want to highlight the great expertise that they provide, the services that they provide, the service lines that they support, the procedures they do, their relationships with their, with their patients, yet they're individuals. And so part of our wanting to do that kind of involves their involvement in this. It's right. It's almost like if if we're talking about iPhones, iPhones, they're they're not sentient beings, right? We can right. just promote them as products all the day long. But in this particular case, we want to promote an individual. So de facto, they have to kind of be involved in marketing. Oh, absolutely. That's an interesting dynamic there. Well, and I've been surprised over my career of people who don't have a process that brings the doctors in first and foremost. The doctors can tell you exactly who's strong in a market, who's doing what, whatever. So whenever I have a marketing planning process, we bring all the docs in and we have them really rate the services within a, a service line, et cetera, because then you get buy-in as to what you take to market, right? Because then it's not a, the, the squeaky wheel. It's the, it's the place that meets the criteria. And I use a sheet of 10 criteria that talks about do you have a physician champion or do you have quality outcomes? Do you have capacity? What's the patient experience like? And you score these. And pretty soon the doctors start to understand what they have to do to get their program to be warranted marketing dollars. It was an emergency room doctor who gave me a rule that I've kept my entire career, which is if you don't have a good patient experience, you're not getting a dime of marketing until you fix it, because that's where we're at with consumerism. And um, I've never had any argument from anyone on that point. I said, if you want to compete on service and quality, I'll do that all day long, you know, but let's not do a me too kind of thing. So you're right. The doctors have to be part of the process. They have to understand the process so that they can be advocates for it and they have to be real with each other. And I find the, um, I use the term cross roughing from bridge where they have to evaluate their own services is most enlightening with medical groups. That's a great perspective there for sure. Now let's counter that with the fact that we're in a world right now, as we record this, Gene, 
physicians are dealing with burnout. They're looking at different types of employment status. Maybe they no longer want to be independent. They want to be, you know, come become more closely involved with your health system, whatever. Or in the case states of like California or Texas or wherever, they they have to remain independent. Yet we need to get their involvement. I mean, it becomes incredibly challenging to get their time and attention nowadays, I would think. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the big constant tensions, I think, between health systems and their physicians, I'll speak from where I'm, I'm right now. I'm at Phoenix Children's Hospital and Phoenix is growing incredibly fast. During the pandemic, we had an influx of people from all over the country coming there. And so as the only children's hospital in Arizona, you can imagine the pressures on our programs, whether it's primary care in pediatrics, all the way up to most the sub-subspecialties, right? So we started on a path of growth, and that meant acquiring practices. We're actually building two new hospitals in the next two years. There aren't very many markets that can do that. We feel proud about that. When I talk to a doctor about that, they almost are exhausted. They're like, how in God's name are we going to do that? You know? And so part of bringing them along to get them to be cheerleaders, and I use that in the most respective way possible, is to have them understand the forces in the market, to have them understand that we need to grow. We don't have capacity now, but we will once these new physicians are recruited and these facilities are built. And once they understand the vision, if you will, of the organization, they do get on board. They do get on board. Now, they also have the chance like they could say, this is not for me. I want something simpler. That's always their choice. But I think we need to spend as much time with doctors as we do with our staff on educating them about the business of healthcare and how, what it's like today in the market you live in. You know, that's really an interesting point there because I think that many physicians, they rightfully so, they're focused on their craft, on what they do, you know, the services that they provide to help them understand sort of the larger environment that they're in. And it's less of, I I know that they understand where like maybe their top competitors are in the market, but this is more about the business of healthcare and why it's critically important. And, you know, years ago when everything was hospital centric, right. And people only went to the hospital when they were, well, we only go now when we're very, very sick, but people stayed in the hospital a little bit longer. So you actually saw most of your medical staff somewhere along the line in a week's time when you worked in a hospital. You don't even see your physicians anymore. There are whole groups of them that don't even come into the hospital anymore because you have hospitalists who cover their patients. So when you talk about keeping engaged with them, whether they are employed by you or whether they're independent, it takes a very different strategy than what you used to do. I remember spending many, 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 many mornings in the physician's break room because I knew I could get a hold of the surgeons between cases or something. You can't do that anymore, you know, because you've got outpatient surgery clinics all over the place. But in order to do some, what I call core education with them, we've really made it a priority in just about every health system I've worked in to have a physician leadership program, which offers courses to give them the background they need. And it's done in a way that they can do it at home when they have hopefully some free time that they can do that. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's awesome. Like you're basically giving them the opportunity to learn when they have the freedom to learn about the the status of the market and some of the challenges and why I, I would assume that through this process, helping reinforce why they are important 
to being involved in the marketing work that you're doing. Correct. And, you know, we had we just did a, a, a number of videos for our career site. We're all in the same market for talent in this country. I don't care where you are. I'm competing with Boston and Minneapolis, you know, for the same people. And nurses are um, at the top of that list, obviously. And so, you know, to get a doctor to give you the time to shoot a five-minute video is asking a lot. I know you might think that's not a lot of time, but when they've got 15 minutes with each patient, it's asking a lot. We didn't have any problem getting our docs there because they knew the value of recruiting medical assistants and advanced practice practitioners. I mean, they understood that by doing this, they were helping to solve the problem of staff shortages People wouldn't be as burned out, and they really got behind it. We had such great cooperation. It was really very different than my experiences maybe 20 years ago. And it's interesting, too, that you're adopting some of the very tools that they're using to deliver their care. That is, you're kind of reaching out to them virtually. And I I think that's the other interesting aspect of this is that we as marketers, we now have a whole bevy of additional uh, tools that can we could use in our disposal to engage with those physicians in a much deeper way. Absolutely. And, and for the physicians to engage with their patients. I'm not going to mention the health system, but I did spend some time with doctors talking about what to do and not to do on telehealth visits because they thought they were just sort of sitting in their offices talking. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is an interaction with a patient. And, you know, be be mindful of your background, be mindful of the way you're dressed. I mean, they just, they thought they were talking on the phone sort of thing. So bringing some of those small nuances to make them even more engaging with the patient is is another role for marketing as well, because we understand what that looks like. Right, absolutely. And it's interesting that you're, you're kind of educating them on using the tools in a much better way. But you're also getting a secondary benefit from that, because then when you turn around and ask them to maybe per, uh, create a video for marketing or, you know, talk about their services through a video platform for marketing support, they're that much more engaged as well. Absolutely. In fact, we created a patient portal, my firm, at a children's hospital. And it was very interesting that the uh, client had been spending almost $200,000 a year on a magazine that was going out to referring physicians. And when I interviewed them, there wasn't a single physician who had ever seen it because it came in and it went on the, the book stand. And so I asked them, if this organization wanted to engage your trust and really engage you in what they're doing. What do they need to do for you? And you always ask your customer, right? And it became things like, don't offer me CMEs at noon because I can't leave my practice and go downtown and do that. So now there's a portal. They can do CMEs online and they can get their credits. They can download maps in Spanish and English. I mean, they needed things that helped them work with that health system and not a newsletter that talked about, look at all these great new subspecialists we had. It was a complete 180 for that marketing team to understand what their clients wanted. And believe me, children's hospitals live and die on referring physicians. So it was very important. Yeah. And what you're talking about is it's almost like there's a parallel track of what we're doing with consumers in that we're not bragging or chest beating about our services anymore. We're providing them pragmatic, relevant information to work with us and select us, right, as as patients, as consumers. It's the same thing with doctors. And this now we're getting into the referring uh, providers and doing the kind of the, the physician outreach, because that's a critical part of marketing, I would say, as well. But many organizations 
they have that as a separate department. Right. And it's interesting. Some people have it reporting up different ways. I mean, I'll give you my opinion. You know, some people have physician relations as part of the medical group. And in my experience, that means they get pulled in every direction every time there's a crisis. Uh, Physician relations people should be focused on three things, growth, retention of business, and issue resolution, and nothing else. They should be your eyes and ears in the community. And you give them the tools to understand how much of one doctor's business we're getting and how much more is out there to get. Or where is the referrals going from this doctor in this market? And can I bring that to my organization? When they get sidelined doing other things, you lose the effectiveness. And I've said many times at national conferences, you can take my entire marketing budget away from me, but don't take away the physician relations people. They're more valuable than anything else that we have. Yeah. And the tools available to physician relations teams have also evolved and they're changing with the times as well. And what's your perspective? How how are things changing? Are they getting better? Well, that's, (laughs) (laughs) it depends is the best way to respond to that. Recently, there's been some shakeup in that industry and some vendors have walked away from their products, which has left some of my clients actually high and dry. So it got me going to find other potential vendors who could work with our people. My caution to everyone would be the shiny penny needs to be looked at carefully. Be careful of what you're, you're going to adopt as your PRM for your organization. So for example, There are some that have great analytic abilities, but have no data in them, which means you have to buy all that data. There's others that come with all the data involved. There's some that will say we have 500 personas. Well, in a children's hospital, I only have about five or six. I don't need the other 400 that you're offering me. So anyone who's in a position to look at a PRM needs to look at not only the initial startup costs, but what are the goals of your program and can this product deliver that? I get really anxious when I hear people say, well, my IT department wants us to be a Microsoft shop or an Adobe shop or a Salesforce shop. Let's remember what Adobe and Salesforce and all those started out as. This is an add-on to their portfolio. How good are they at that? So you got to take a look at all of those things. But Chris, the data now and the ability to ingest your own EMR plus claims data that is from your market, um, as well as demographic data, is nothing like I've ever seen before. It is so advanced now that it's really worth the time to take and have vendors come in. I've run many RFP processes, but I think the better thing is to bring them in and have a long conversation over coffee and really talk about things and see who's in, who fits in your niche. You might not be ready for the big shiny thing. You might be, you might need something that's more of a niche player. Absolutely. And understanding sort of all the data that's out there and being able to provide you solutions to, to empower your, your your strategy, right, mm-hmm. is ultimately there. I think, again, this kind of comes back to, it's, it's funny, Reed and I always reflect on this, that it really comes back to the basics. It's like, understand what you're trying to accomplish, find the right 
tools that can help support and meet those needs. Obviously, look at ways that you can do it in a, in a way that is not disruptive, right? So there's efficiency involved. And I think these all kind of play into as we start to map out not only the digital tools to engage with these physicians, but actually pulling physicians into your overall strategy. I think that in and of itself becomes the core of what we're trying to accomplish here. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing is you report out what's happening with your physician relations team to those doctors who helped build the plan so they can see the cause and effect of visiting these doctors, an increase in referrals, et cetera, et cetera. And the whole thing is to bring back and document your value is helping the CEO meet his or her bottom line. I mean, one of the things that still surprises me, Chris, is when you and I are at these national conferences and you hear somebody say, when is marketing going to get a seat at the table? And I just shake my head and (laughs) I'm like, if you don't have a seat at the table, you haven't demonstrated your value. And I did some research early on when I started my company. I interviewed 60 CEOs, healthcare CEOs. And the thing I took away was the one who said, I've never had my marketing lead tell me they could help me meet my bottom line. If he or she could, they'd be at my desk every day. So you've got to be able to use these tools to report out the value of your efforts and what the contribution is to the bottom line. And I'm happy to say there's lots of tools out there that'll help you do that now. We didn't have those 20 years ago. You know, we I know. Have now. <laughs> and we were just reflecting on like what life was like that so many years ago, right? And it, it's it's significantly shifted. But yet, you know, we still kind of find ourselves in in oftentimes in the same place. It's those organizations that can maybe focus a little bit and and develop sort of those targeted strategies to engage the right people, including providers. And I like the other thing that you said about it is using these same physician outreach tools to report back to your own employed providers about performance and showing them you're you're now using evidence-based marketing, if I can leverage that term the right way. And even more importantly is the issues that they raise. This is a classic. We have a, a like one of my clients has a care a call center to help physician offices get their patients in, and in a children's hospital, those are complex case, those are complex kids. They have to see multiple specialists, right? So it's not an easy call to make and to arrange, right? So we had one pediatrician's office that sent us thirty thousand referrals a year. And they were obviously our number one referral. They were saying that they lose 20% of the calls going through the call center. I bring this to the call center and I said, why don't we have a dedicated call team just for this practice if they're bringing us this much business? Oh, no, we can't do that. We have to treat everybody the same. I go, no, you don't. You know, you love all the kids, but you know that some kid is better in science and the other one's better in math. This is our main feeder source. This is our growth. You need to dedicate people. So we were able to bring back to them a proposal that captured those 20% we were losing, which added up to 6,000 or something, you know, simply by changing the staffing. And we made the case to them of what we were losing and how that we could recoup that, that would easily pay for two or three more operators that could be in the call center. So it helps also with operations and and the issues management for the doctors are, if you can solve those and make it easy for them to work with your organization, they're going to do more with your organization. I think that those words are so 
fitting and are a great way to kind of close out this conversation today, Gene. And I really appreciate the last few minutes of us being able to talk about some of the the challenges of you know involving physicians in our marketing efforts. So appreciate all, all what you shared. Happy to do so, Chris. Happy to do so. You know, a lot of people are going to want to continue on the conversation, maybe even connect with you, and, and they should, rightfully so. Can you share a little bit about how people can uh, can reach out to you online? Sure. They can either reach me on my profile on LinkedIn, or they can email me at Jean, which is J-E-A-N, at Hitchcock, like Alfred, marcom.com. So that's gene at hitchcockmarcom.com. Yeah, that's great. You know what, Gene, we're going to put all of that in the show notes. So people listening in, they could just go there and, and navigate over and be able to do that. Gene, thanks again for uh, coming on and sharing your wisdom today. I really appreciate catching up with you. And let's not make it so long before you come back on the show. Absolutely, Chris. It was a pleasure to reconnect with you too. Special thanks to Jean for coming on the show. I appreciate her insights and uh, ideas and feedback. So great to have uh, her voice and appreciate her time. I encourage everybody to reach out to her. Usually a regular at most of the conferences. And uh, speaking of conferences, sign up for the TPS report over at touchpoint.health. And you'll also have some links there in that email to upcoming industry education. So, all right, what uh, what do you have for a recommendation today, Chris? Reed, we are now entering in high scale time uh, when it comes to television content. There's a lot of shows that are out there. There's a lot of new shows that are streaming on all the streaming platforms. There are countless various different streaming channels. But I'm going to make a recommendation for a really good family-friendly television program that we started watching. It's in the second season now. It's called Abbott Elementary. Okay. It's like The Office. It's like Parks and Rec in terms of like it's a mockumentary, right? Like a kind of a fake following of fictional uh, teachers, though. And the teachers work for a Philadelphia public school where the odds are basically stacked against them. They are struggling with what it's like to work in a public school education system, and they very much care about their students, and it's absolutely hilarious. It's on ABC. I will actually watch it through Hulu. That's the program that, or the streaming service that I watch it through. But I will have to say it is some of the funniest half-hour programming that's ever been. It's now about one or two episodes into the new season. It had a whole shortened first season, and it's amazing. And some of the people, they are hilarious. And and I will say that one of the one of my favorite characters in the whole show is the principal, and she's she's played by Janelle James, and she is so hilarious and snarky. She reminds me of like the modern day Michael Scott if you pick him up and put him into like public school system. So it's a great show. Abbott Elementary can highly recommend it. Two seasons in, go back and watch the first season. And by the way, watch it with your kids. Absolutely family friendly. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I've seen that advertise. I'm going to have to go check it out for sure. It does look good. All right. I'm going to recommend a toy company. If you like something unique to maybe keep on your desk or even to give as a gift, uh, go check out candylabtoys.com. Candylabtoys.com. They make a combination wooden slash die cast car. 
they come in a couple different sizes. Uh, they've got kind of some that are their uh, Americana collection that are more of like a Hot Wheel size uh, car. I'm sorry, that's actually the candy car series. And then there's the Americana ones. But they're fun little kind of wooden, nondescript, uh, kind of retro-y looking toys. So kind of a combination of a wooden toy um, with uh, kind of some some die cast elements to it. But anyway, they're really cool. They'd be fun to collect if you're if you're into those types of things. But if you're looking for kind of a unique gift, they make like a line of food trucks, for example. And there's all kinds of fun things. But Go check it out. It's candylabtoys.com. Oh, I love it. I'm go check it out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, another great episode, Chris, in the books, $2.99. Thanks again. Touchpoint.health is the website. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.